Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. As we continue our series, Good Trouble, we will journey with Peter as God upsets the status quo relationally with others. We will learn that God upsets our own social status quo still today to spell good trouble. Some memories popped up on my Facebook page of when Brooke and I went to Walt Disney World right after she graduated from college. Walt Disney World is the one in Florida, not the one in California. Walt Disney World is also the one with four parks, not just two parks, okay? And uh, Disney World is um, really, it's, it's, it's formed around kids being able to be kids, but there's also some really interesting uh, decisions made by Walt Disney himself. We're not talking about the company now. We're talking about Walt Disney, that he wanted this park to be. And one park that sort of stands from the rest that's different is called Epcot. Epcot is the one with the big giant golf ball uh, right at the very entrance. And then as you go in, there's this big lagoon. And around, they have each of these cultural centers. On this side, it starts with Canada. And I think on this side, it starts with Mexico and it, Japan, and Great Britain, and just basically, you get to travel a version of the world in just a, a park loop. Walt Disney originally envisioned Epcot to actually not be a park. He actually envisioned Epcot to be a city. And the, de- the design of the city was this, was that people of all different cultures could live together in a single space, and then they would come together to create solutions for the issues that plague all of humanity. So it allowed this kind of, oh, you've got this cultural center here. We celebrate the culture. You can experience the culture. But at the end of the day, you come back to the front side of the, of the area, the, the golf ball size of the area, and we develop technology to benefit all of humanity. Essentially, Walt Disney was a man of his time. He was a modern man. Modern meaning philosophically, humans can create solutions for all of humanity. What's the problem in our world? We can celebrate our differences, but then we can come together for one singular purpose to make life better. And that was the technology piece of Epcot. At the heart of Epcot is this spirit of tolerance. It's saying, oh, you have that culture. That's great. You can embrace your culture, and I might visit and appreciate it a little bit. But you can do your thing, and I can do also my thing with culture, and we can still do things together. Tolerance sounds really good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound good of getting all of humanity together to figure out the problems and bring up solutions for what we've got going on in our world, right? Tolerance is our status quo today. For most people in our world, we are tolerant of each other. Some of you are saying, you know, you should see how tolerant I am of my coworkers. Uh-huh. Gritting behind your teeth. But we have learned, though, that not everybody is for this. Some people still live in this this silo of hate. They still believe that their culture 
that their life, that their values, that everything that they believe needs to be the superior thing. And that if everybody was to actually just come into our, that silo, everything would be fine. We know this because we have grieved significant tragedies, even just in this past week, where people, are, people who are not tolerant at all are doing evil works in the name of their intolerance and their hate. So maybe tolerance, even as a status quo, isn't enough for our society. Do you know what I mean? Because if not everybody's going to agree to it, then maybe it's not enough to it. Maybe tolerance doesn't go far enough. When we look at the scriptures and we hear about Jesus saying the words, do not judge for you will be judged, tolerance is the first thing that comes to our mind. Because that's our status quo. Do not judge. So, okay, I'm going to be tolerant of people with different cultures and different belief systems and things like that, right? That's sort of where we go to. But Jesus, when he says do not judge, isn't looking for us to just simply say, I'm not going to judge them, and then I'm going to just stay away from them, or I'll let them do their thing, or everybody has their own spot in the world, everybody has their own table. Jesus brought something greater. Because at the same point that Jesus says, do not judge, he also says, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus wants his way and his community to grow. And sometimes we think it looks like the way that the world goes about conquering the world. And it's not. It's something greater. And so today, we're going to look at a conflict in the early church that, quite frankly, has this tension of what does it mean for the church to make disciples of all nations when those nations are a lot different than us and have different values and different morals and different religions and all these other kinds of things? What is this going to look like? Conflict arises in Acts chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to them. It will be on the screen for you. We read from the Common English Bible. But this conflict is actually after Peter, the apostle, goes to a Roman centurion's house who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And Peter is really excited and things like that. But news gets back to the other people in the church and they aren't necessarily happy with it. Sometimes good trouble even makes people in the church unhappy. That never happens, right? No, it doesn't happen with us. Right? <laughs> so this is the interaction, the conflict that arises as Peter gets back to the rest of the church and they hear that this guy, Cornelius, became a follower of Jesus. This is what they say. The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard that even the Gentiles had welcomed God's word. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. They accused him, you went into the home of the uncircumcised and ate with them. Step by step, Peter explained what had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying when I had a visionary experience. And in my vision, I saw something like a large linen sheet being lowered from heaven by its four corners. It came all the way down to me, and as I started, 
as I stared at it, wondering what it was, I saw four-legged animals, including wild beasts, as well as reptiles and wild birds. By the way, Jews don't eat those things, okay? I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I responded, absolutely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice from heaven spoke a second time. Never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times, then everything was pulled back into heaven. And at that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying. The Spirit told me to go with them, even though they were Gentiles. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered that man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and summon Simon who is known as Peter, and he will tell you how you and your entire household can be saved. When I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as the Spirit fell on us in the beginning, and I remembered the word, Lord's words, John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Once the apostles and other believers heard this, they calmed down and they praised God and concluded, so then, God has enabled Gentiles to change their hearts and lives so they may have a new life. The conflict here is Peter sat down and ate with impure people. Because Cornelius is a Roman centurion. Now, just to briefly talk about this for a moment, okay? For millennia, Israel, Jews, have been following a law about purity and impurity. They don't eat certain things. They, to get good with God, they have to go through certain rituals. Jesus was Jewish, friends. And so was Peter, and so was all the disciples. And at first, when you look at this, it looks like this is something that's happening within Judaism. And then Jesus has to, you know, put a wrench in that and say, go and make disciples of all nations, which means it goes beyond Israel. And so these other followers of Jesus who are Jewish are upset because Peter has disobeyed the ways of of their life that they've been living for years. This is not, I don't want to trivialize this. You, think for a second. Think of something in your life when something changed and how long it took you to adjust to it. If you're a parent, your kid left the nest, how long did it take to adjust to say, oh, they're adults, we can't necessarily talk to them like that anymore, right? They're going to do what they do. There's adjustments in toddlers from day to day, by the way. <laughs> Either case, this is the thing is that for people to change, they, they're resistant to it initially. But Jesus has said, this is going to all the nations. And God met Peter and met Cornelius and made the meeting happen. God wanted Peter to sit at Cornelius' table. This is going against the status quo, y'all. 
even 2,000 years since, even though we don't sense tolerance here, just because the status quo is the status quo doesn't mean it's God's way of living. There's no tolerance here. But today, we have these ideas of, of tolerance and we still keep our divisions amongst each other. Oh, I'm not going to hang out with these kind of folks. I'm not going to hang out with these kinds of folks because they do this or they believe this or they have this habit or they do all these things different from me. But I respect them. I tolerate them. I'm not judging. That's what Jesus told me to do. But what we see here is that Jesus initiates new relationships here. God leads us to new relationships if we are following him. We don't just stick with the same social circle our entire lives. We are constantly going out as Christians to be with other people, no matter how different they are, because we have a mission to make disciples of all nations. And so God does some significant heavy lifting for the early church, because guess what? They're still flying a little blind. You ever wonder why we don't have like these miraculous visions like we read in the New Testament all the time? You ever wonder why? Because God had to work a little extra harder to get folks to understand it. We have two millennia now of being in relationship with each other in the church and talking through what all of this meant. We have the benefit of a tradition that tells us we need to go into new relationships and share the good news with Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ to all people. We know that now. We don't have to have God giving you and I this dream about a linen coming down about wild reptiles and stuff like that. Some of y'all eat gator already, so you're fine. You don't need to know that. God is leading Peter and the people of the church to new relationships. And in the same way, he leads us to new relationships. It's not just about not being judgmental. It's also being open to receiving new folks into our lives. Maggie Gratz says this. She's talking about Peter. Out of his knowledge and experience, he joins the Holy Spirit and leads people into new ways of relating. Divisions that were norms in the society of his day were overshadowed by the activity of God. Now, make that in the present tense. Divisions that are norms in the society of today are overshadowed by the activity of God. Even if those divisions have been accepted into the status quo of tolerance, God is sending us through those divisions, through the tolerance, into something bigger and better than just saying, hey, you do you and I do me, and we'll be happy. I wanted to add another verse like there was a poem, but I didn't have anything there, so I'm sorry. You do you and you do me. No, God is bigger than that. God has a better message than that. God has something for all of us. But the interesting piece about this entire moment is that when God comes to Cornelius, a Roman centurion, he does not have to take up Jewish rights 
to follow Jesus. He does not have to live into the cultural center of Judaism to receive Jesus. He just sits at the table with a Jew who has done everything right by the book his entire life except when Jesus told him not to. And the Holy Spirit poured out on him and he came to know Christ. The good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he transforms us where we are. We don't have to necessarily perfectly fit into this one singular culture. We have a word for it. It's called homogeneous. Jesus did not come to create a homogeneous church where everybody looks the same and everybody has the same customs and everybody has the same culture and everybody has the same norms. Where everybody eats fried chicken or everybody eats steak or everybody eats... We're not... The church is not designed to be Oh, there's a white church and a black church. And there's a Korean church and there is a Japanese church. We are the church. And what we forget about all of this is that we are so used to these segregated, segregated congregations when it's not what Jesus had in mind for us at all. You bring your culture and you worship God with your culture and you bring your culture and you worship God with your culture and I'm going to love it and I am going to love it and we're going to see how God is understood by a great diversity of people. But that sounds hard because some cultures have beats that are different than two and four and I don't like that. Did you know that some cultures have insects as delicacies for food? And what you're doing right now, whenever you say those things, when we say these things, we are putting a judgment on their culture instead of saying, God is working, and that is my brother, and that is my sister, and we can worship together, and I can learn something about God from another culture. So the solution for this isn't tolerance where you get to have your own table and you get to have your own congregation and you get to have your own churches. The solution is bigger than tolerance. The solution is the table. The table is the place where we gather with others on equal footing and love for each other. The table is the place where you sit down with somebody who is different than you and you share a meal and you begin to find out that they, even though they are incredibly different than you, have something to enrich your life because God has acted in their lives and God will work through the coming, by, by the joining of the two of you at table or the three of you or the four of you or the five of you or the ten of you or the fifty of you or the five hundred of you. We're not called to tolerance, we're called to love that is given by the Spirit and it makes a place at our tables for anybody, even those the most different from us. 
And if you say, no, I'm not going to do this, ask the question that Peter asked himself. Who am I? Could I stand in God's way? Because the moment that we start allowing these, these, we start closing ourselves to people different than us, we may very easily find ourselves standing in God's way. It was hard for Peter to go to Cornelius' house. He even admits it. He gets there and he does what Peter does. He's putting his foot in his mouth. You know I'm not supposed to be here, right? He essentially says that whenever he goes to Cornelius. And then God softens his heart and shows him what he can do even in the differences between him, a Jew, and Cornelius, a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion who was a part of the problem of oppressing Jews for years. This is his enemy that is now his brother. And it wouldn't have happened if he wouldn't have listened to the Lord and shared a table with Cornelius. The modern world of tolerance, the status quo of tolerance, which is embodied by the park of Epcot, shows you all that tolerance can do. And it's this. We can celebrate cultures, and we can come together for something that we agreed to, and everybody's going to work towards this. But that's it. There's a reason why there's a lagoon in Epcot and not a big table. There's a reason why there's a body of water separating all the cultural centers and not a table. It doesn't go far enough. Tolerance isn't the good news. Love is the good news. Accepting people where they are and celebrating what God has done in them and through them and through their particular identity. Yeah, God changes it. Cornelius probably isn't going to be a centurion for very much longer after coming to know Christ. It's very hard to be a part of an empire-based military and say that you love Jesus. There are pieces of his life that will be transformed, but he does not have to become a Jew. And we all don't have to become perfect little cogs in a machine. We're called to be people who appreciate and love each other in him and transformed by him in all things. So friends, I want you to hear this. You and I are meant to transcend the divisions of our world and transcend the status quo of tolerance. It's not just about not judging others. It's about going to those who we would be very, very easily judgmental of and beginning a relationship with them, sharing the table with them. And it transcends race and economics and marginalization and justice and impression. It transcends politics. It transcends, uh, it transcends uh, where you're at in life. It transcends the kind of music that you like. It transcends your, your typical cuisine. It transcends all of it. And in the church, it's supposed to be the celebration of God through the many different ways that he has given us to celebrate him. So the resolution, friends, is not tolerance. It's love on the table. It's one thing to believe that God can change anyone so that we withhold judgment. It's another thing to accept others into our lives, eating and communing and living with them in love. Hear that? 
It's not enough. It's not enough to just not be judgmental. We have to go the next step and say, hey, come, join me, eat with me, live with me. I love you. Jesus loves you. What might he do through our relationship together? When was the last time that you, and, and here, we're, we're going to start small first, okay? We had a dinner a few weeks ago when COVID, thank, yeah, I know. We had a dinner a few weeks ago after Faith Promise. Who'd you sit with? Did you sit with the same friend circle that you've always had at our church? Do you sit with the people that you're most comfortable with? You can be honest. We even in our church have to reclaim the table to get to know people who are different than us and maybe we don't know very well. We in the church have to begin to practice this amongst ourselves where we are inviting each other into each other's homes or if you don't want people to see your home because you're a neat freak and stuff like that, going out to dinner with each other or doing things together. People who are different than you. Not the same friends that you've had at church for 10 years. You see somebody new in church, invite them out to lunch. Get to know somebody new. That's scary. God leads us into new relationships, y'all. And if we can't do it within us, how are we going to be able to do it in the world around us? We have to find spaces to welcome others to our table. Have you, ever had, have you ever had a dinner where you invited somebody from church and somebody from your neighborhood that doesn't go to church together? What might God do at that gathering? What might God do there? I've seen this happen. I've, I've seen some really cool things happen, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of brag on, on these people for a while, and they're going to feel a little you know, blushy and things like that. But disc golf has, has two guys who are dads, has a guy who is married but not a dad yet, two teenage, no, sorry, two guys who are, are not dads, and then we have two very young guys. They're young. I mean, they're, they don't think they're young, but they're young, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. There are significant differences between those phases of life. But the table that we gather around is this easy, leisurely thing that we gather around and we talk about life and we know each other. And I can't tell you, like a few months ago, our text thread was just simply, are we going to play? Yes. Okay, see you then. Bye. My phone blows up all the time now because they're ta we're talking to each other continuously. What might God do when we open our tables to people who are different than us? What might God do in our community if we were to invite our neighbors and invite our church friends together? Might people come to know the Lord and become disciples, friends? I think it might happen. I think it might. Are we inviting others to our table? To share the love of Christ with them. The last picture I want you to have as we leave this 
this passage is this. Even though my two-year-old says no to everything right now. Good morning. No. Did you sleep good? No. You didn't sleep good? No. Are you Chloe? No. Oh, really? I, like, I, 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 was, I always wondered when it was coming. I didn't know it was going to come on this strong. But there is something my two-year-old does that is inherently beautiful and, quite frankly, from God. There's these moments that she does something that I just cannot believe that God is working through her right there. And it's very simple. See, we have a number of, we have, you know, a toddler table where she can color, right? She has her seat at our table in a high chair where she eats. And then she will also be sitting sometimes drinking milk and watching an educational program. Octonauts. I am so tired of Octonauts. Please save me from Octonauts, everybody. But when she is sitting down at one of those three places, at the, at the dining table, at the drawing table, or on the couch, when she sees you come into the room, this is what she goes, sit, sit, sit. She does this, like right next to her, sit, sit. And it's funny, but she is inviting me, she is inviting grandparents, she's inviting anybody who comes into the room to come join her and share life with her. She's inviting us to her table, literally and figuratively, so that love and experience and yeah, even worshiping God can be shared together. A two-year-old gets this. So friends, as we leave this place, have the posture of not just being non-judgmental. Have the posture of my two-year-old. And when you see somebody, say, come, sit, sit at my table got a chair for you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to be in relationship with you. And I want to see what God might do in our relationship together. And then, friends, we will begin to see the Great Commission come to life. We will begin to make disciples of all nations. We will spell good trouble in our world. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.